for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Think about it, guys. One year of elk hunting only means what? Three, four, five, maybe ten days of experience? To be a successful elk hunter, you have to grow in the off-season. You're just like an athlete. If you only practice and prepare in season, then four years down the line, it might just all come together. But if you work in the off-season, scrimmage, practice moves, become a student of the sport, you can speed up that learning curve and start kicking butt this very next season. Y'all, if you want to be successful next year, your season isn't over. Today's topic, the off-season elk hunter. That along with our Elk Bros shout outs and questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host Gilbert Ornelas and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello again, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, host for your show from Spring, Texas, and joining me from New Mexico, your elk hunting coach, Joe Gillia. Yeah, pulling out of the mountains over here in New Mexico just about an hour ago, bud. Wow, (laughs) Joe gets to hunt elk almost every day he wants to. Oh, I I tell you, it would have, you know, 
I wish, but <laughs> it's 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 nice to be up there. Uh, we're chasing cow elk right now. Um, awesome. We've got uh, some snow coming in, so things ought to liven up. It's it's actually I got news for you guys out there. I've heard a lot of people talking about this year and how tough it's been. Well, you know, I got on a Primo Ranch, one of the top ranches in New Mexico, and there's been some struggles everywhere. Let me tell you. So, uh, but. For you guys chasing bull elk in December, oh, man. I, Gilbert, I'm going up into the canyon at noon today at the mouth of the canyon. The bull elk are down feeding in the bottom. Oh, wow. At noon today. At so, noon. you know, that's the thing you guys remember. Those bulls are in that phase right now, man. They have to feed. They're bacheloring up. They're Slaves getting down in those bellies. bottoms, and they are feeding, feeding, feeding. So, I really believe this is the best time for you guys to get yourself a good big bull. So uh, good luck to those people that are bull hunting out there. And uh, Gilbert, today's topic uh, was actually inspired by a conversation from one of our Elk Bros listeners. So I want to give a shout out to John DeBacca out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, John, uh, incredible guy, just uh, so spirited, so full of life and passion for elk hunting. And uh, he listens to the show. I get texts from him all the time. And uh, we had a conversation that was talking about the end of the season. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that inspired this. So um, as coaches, Gilbert, you know, I know how important the off season is. And, And like you said before, think about it. If a hunter, he hunts elk only five days out of the year, that means in five seasons, they get a month of elk hunting experience. One month, one month of experience. So this time in the off season is, is huge. It's critical for really flattening out that learning curve, you know, especially if you guys want to get out there this next season and to be successful out there we can cut those years of experience. Now, as a guide or those guys that live in the Rocky Mountains or like Gilbert, who's out in different places all the time, you guys get to, you get months and months of experience during a season. So that uh, some people will, it'll take them what I get in one year, man, it would take them almost a lifetime if they hunted only five to seven days. And that's all they did. Yeah, no doubt, Joe. Well, yeah. before we get too deep into oh, okay. topic, you know exactly what time <laughs> oh, it is, Joe. Oh, no. I'm for the pro oh, shout outs. Oh, if you're new to our show, these are just shout outs to a few cities with the most listeners topping our, topping our charts this week. Joe. Yeah, we've got to remember those cities. And and guys, thank you so much. The I keep seeing more and more. I've seen cities I've never seen before. <laughs> and it's so cool to see some of these new ones pop up and, and take the top of the charts. And uh, taking the top this week with 350 days of sunshine a year, it's the sunniest city in the United States. And according to the American Lung Association, it has the third cleanest air of any city. It's also the oldest city in Arizona, and the chimichanga was invented here. In fact, it was invented when a lady in a restaurant accidentally dropped a burrito in the hot grease and splashed it, and she was actually going to say a little bit of a 
a, a curse word right. <laughs> and threw something else in there in that syllable because there were kids around it. And yeah. thus the chimichanga was born, but in That's called. Tucson, Arizona in the house. Tucson, Arizona. Yeah. All right. That's awesome, man. Yeah, and just to come off of, of something that you was going to say, a cuss word, that's pretty funny. Isn't that cool? No doubt. <laughs> Joe, the pimento cheese capital of the world, and when most people think the gold rush, they usually think of California. But Cali, the gold yeah. rush actually started here in 1799 when Conrad Reed found a 17-pound gold nugget on his family's property in Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte, Yo, North Carolina. Carolina. Yes, sir. Carolina boys, man. Yeah. I had never left. I didn't know there were 17-pound gold <laughs> nuggets. That's a big gold nugget. I have a feeling they've all been found, but, you know. Yep. Yeah. No doubt. Next up, it was home to Jesse James and Walt Disney. Well, there's two separate spectrums right there. No doubt. And the world's largest greeting cards maker, Hallmark, was started when Joyce Hall began selling postcards out of a shoebox in 1910 here. And, oh, by the way, I saw these guys play a heck of a ball game the other night. Kansas City, Missouri. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. That would be uh, Kansas City, Missouri. You know, there's very fine line that separates Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas Kansas City, City. Missouri. Yeah. I live in Overland Park, Kansas, which is just, I mean, I could actually throw a rock over a creek and I'd be in Kansas City, Missouri. So that was a pretty wild time in my life. I was a young man. Some beautiful country up there, though, for sure. Yeah, that has to be interesting. I I always wonder because there was actually, between Missouri and and Kansas – there's there's a lot of different philosophies there back in the day too. So that oh yeah, that had to be an interesting line in that city. You bet, no yeah. doubt. Well, Pizza Hut was born here in 1958, Joe, and sitting on the side of the Highway 96, there's a tree. Some refer to it as the lucky tree, and others the wishing tree or the honking tree, whatever you call it, and you just don't pass by without honking. The origins of what exactly make this tree so lucky aren't really clear. But honking for luck as you pass this tree is the secret of the city and has been passed down for multiple generations. Lucky tree. Wichita, Kansas. Wichita, man. (laughs) So now we got Kansas on the other side. We got Missouri and Kansas. There you go. Uh, Midwesterners, man. God, those whitetail fellas, man. No doubt. Yep. Glad to have you guys listening. Uh, last but not least, uh, you know, uh, another uh, part of my, my past, I, I was really cool to see this. The Bay here produces 500 million pounds of seafood every year. Whew. There's over 22 miles of waterways that include canals, rivers, lakes, and you can visit the Dismal Swamp Canal, which was allegedly the inspiration for the poem The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. And uh I know it is Chicks Beach in this area. I grew up here in this area uh, as a child uh, before moving to the Carolinas. Chesapeake, Virginia. Chesapeake, Virginia in the Chesapeake. house. Chesapeake. Man, yes, all sir. the way from the mid middle of the country to the extreme east coast, man. Yeah. Those Most Virginians definitely. played a good game against Clemson the other night. They just couldn't get it done. 
Yeah, uh, well, I tell you what, Clemson. Clemson's for real, though, man. They are for real. How do you go from being number one to number two and, and not lose a game? Oh, man. Well, I'm t- and most people don't realize, stuff. you know, those guys had won so many games in a row, right? 28. Yeah. Yeah. And most people don't realize they think, oh, you know, that that program. But that team is a different team that's no out doubt. there this year. It's a young team. Yeah. You yeah. know, you got sophomore quarterback, a lot of young players on the field, and those boys are getting it done. They're fun to watch. They are. It's going to be a heck of a little series here, a little playoff. I, I like how it's turned out. So it, it ought to be a, a fun holiday season to watch the football. Uh, you know, as we talk about this, Joe, I see it every year with kids that uh-huh. I coach. You know, right. it's uh, those kids that put in that extra work in the offseason, you know, uh, in reaching out to and recruiting that make the huge jumps in ability and their confidence. Oh, most definitely, man. We we know it's those people that work in the off season and like we talked about up there before, it's those kids that that um become a student of the sport, you know, yeah. that that they're always working at it, that practice their moves all the time, man. They're out there doing it and and put themselves in situations and scrimmages and live situations like that and Hey, guys out there, man, y'all, it's no different for you as an elk hunter. In fact, this all started because I had somebody that said, man, I'm 365 days and counting, you know, and okay, I'm 320 days and counting because they were so sad that their season was over. And and one of the points that I wanted to make is your season is really over when you want it to be Mm -hmm. because there's – there's so much that you can do that keeps you involved in it. Now, if if you live, if you can, and you live near the mountains like we are blessed to do over here in Cimarron and a lot of people in the West, I tell guys, man, and, and, and this came from the conversation with John, Johnny Buck out of Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. Hey, John. And uh, basically I was telling him, man, keep getting up in those hills just because those animals aren't in rut does not mean that you can't keep learning from them. You know, keep getting in the woods, take your diaphragm call, uh, work on getting close to those herds, listen to those herds as they're working, learn their conversations, do some calling out to them, see how they react, you know, call to the cows, learn their language. Any encounter, and, and this is even you Midwesterners, man, you guys want to take a family vacation, you know, shoot, go to your elk hunting stomping ground, get, you know, the family out there, do some hiking, throw your diaphragm call in, teach your uh, daughter or your son about that, you know, um, you know, show your wife what it is about that area, what you do, the, the mountains, the streams, the outdoors that it calls you there every year. So do whatever you can to have encounters with elk if possible because every encounter is a teaching moment and it makes you that much better. It gives you a confidence. It relaxes you around the animals. Um, you almost get this feeling. And, and Gilbert, we talk about this, right, on our hunts, that any day we go into the woods, we feel like we can have an encounter. Right? You bet. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. By doing this and you go out and you say, okay, we're camping here. Well, I take a look at that hill and I can see what's going on in that hill. I can see here on my Onyx where the parks are. I see where the northeast, north facing is. Um, 
you know, it's summertime. What kind of feed would these animals be after? Would it be grasses? Would it be fords? Would it be brush? You know, things like that are going to really make you into a better hunter. So that off-season work is huge. Really is. You know, I, <clears throat> I get to coach some very talented young ladies in the fall and the summer and uh, that want to play softball in college. And uh, I'm going to use my daughter, for example, because she was she was one of those kids that didn't come easy. She had right. to work extremely hard to get where she's going. But I want to tell you, from about the time she was a freshman in high school, I never had to say a word to her about going and doing extra work, Joe. Right. And she'd get home, she'd hit three, four, five hundred balls a day. I mean, it was crazy in the amount of work that she put in. But she saw her batting average go from, you know, uh, 280 to 300 to, you know, hitting over 500 and, you know, hitting bombs and, you know, not striking out. And, I mean, just all of that stuff because she worked year round, um, we had to make her take some time and just shut it down, you know, sure. just so she could heal up a little bit. Cause you know, as you and I are aging as well, I, I have a few nagging little injuries that need a little <laughs> downtime. You know, I got an ankle that, that balks at me from time to time. I, you know, my back's, uh, or my neck's been, uh, acting up some and just the more you push yourself and the older we get, you know, you've got to learn how to maintain. But I think, the more we try to stay in better shape and the more we do in the off season to learn about the, about the, uh, the, the, you know, the animals that we're hunting, sure. the better off we're going to be for next year. You know? Well, yeah, man. And, and, you know, a lot of times you don't find out how those hills deal with your body till you get in some of them, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, when you're going up and down, finding out what that does to, I mean, cause now your foot is, uh, flexed and dorsal flexed and yeah you know it puts a it <laughs> there ain't puts nothing so much flat up there man <laughs> it, everything's all volcanic and you, you know, your your legs are taking a whipping your ankles are taking a whipping your feet are taking a whipping you know i'll never forget those guys we ran into you know they were like man he looked down at my feet uh amadeo soto and and those yeah. guys they looked down at my feet and they went yeah fidel hey, yeah fidel uh -huh. and they they looked down and they were like Man, those are those boots. You you said that you wear those boots, man. <laughs> you know, I'm like, dude, I ain't lying. My feet are important to me. You know, right, right. It hurt if I don't wear the right stuff. So yeah, I mean, they were they were freaked out that all the stuff that we talked about on the podcast we actually had with us and we were utilizing it. Oh know? sure, but so. a lot of times you don't know it, those certain things that work for you or don't work for you till you till you get into the hills until you right. find out. Um, you know, till you get up there and you're trying out your, uh, uh, your, your drinking system until you're finding out, you know, your packs, how they feel, what the weight's like. And yeah. there's so many things that you can learn just from being out there in the offseason. And it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, there's ways to reproduce some of that stuff. Not exactly, right. but I mean, a person just has to be creative to look around in their communities to find things that will recreate some of that now you're not going to recreate the uh, lack of oxygen unless you no, uh -uh. are 
a plastic bag over your head. You know, but, some of that canyon country I hunt out in Ozona and West Texas, mm-hmm. it's real canyonous and sure. it's real uneven terrain, a lot of rocks. So right. a lot of that's a lot. I mean, we're not going, you know, we're 3000 feet, I think at, at the sure. most. So we're not going to mimic that high altitude, 10,000 foot stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, those are some of the things that you can do to just keep preparing yourself. You know, Joe, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is what about those that aren't close to the mountains? How can well, they, how can they help them? You know, all those guys are listening right now and they're going, Oh yeah, y'all, that's great, man. If you're up in the mountains, yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. but what about what if us? You're not, you know, what, yeah, if you're what not about us? So how do they become in what, well, let's talk about the three areas. How do they become a student in the sport? How do they practice the moves? How do they do their scrimmaging? So, sure. you know, to me, as far as being a student of the sport, I don't care if you live in the mountains or not. I know guys here that hunt elk every year that mm-hmm. still don't understand the animal. They still don't understand the habitat. They still don't understand their feed. You know, they, they go have a good time for five days. And if they get an animal, they're happy. If they don't, they're happy. Uh, but they, they're not really a student of the animal. So, you know, for you guys out there, you know, you can, it's so much information now for you to learn from, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a course, whether it's a seminar, or just finding somebody that is a veteran of elk hunting and attaching yourself to that person. And and let me tell you, I, Gilbert, it's happened with you, with some of our listeners, it's happened to me, you know, uh, we, we have guys that are that are from all, all over the United States, Massachusetts, you know, uh, yeah. uh, Colorado. Well, there's, that's a mountain state over there. I've got, uh, some over Missouri. I got some South Dakota, sure. um, different guys all over the place that are New York, texting New York. Yeah. And, uh, they're asking questions that, uh, and, and, you know, really, uh, trying to find out from somebody there. So, you know, you can learn about, the animal's behaviors. And and this is critical because when you get out there, if you understand your competition, and I'm sorry, but that's how I see it. It's a competition. It's me and that critter in his environment, you know, in his hometown, it's his home court. So I got to know his strengths. I got to know his weaknesses. Uh, I need to know his preferred habitat. And you know what? Uh, that preferred habitat thing, that's what is giving people fits this year because in a lot of these years, a lot of the West and a lot of places have been going through so many droughts for so many years that these animals preferred habitat ended up being areas where they got uh, condensed down, you know, mm-hmm. and Bottom because, neck, yeah. yeah. Uh, and because of that, people were used to finding them in some places. Well, you get, two back-to-back good springs or you get a really really wet summer and wet spring where those guys can now disperse into areas that prior to didn't have their feed didn't you know didn't provide the need for them and all of a sudden them honey holes go dry from from the past so it's important to understand those things understand those concepts the the language there are so many guys out there that are doing things about the language. So much that you can listen to, that you can no, practice to. Lots you know? of podcasts. Oh, uh, go on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And uh, guys, look up the Elk Nut. 
look up Chris Rowe. We hope to be in your lineup here um, as that's being developed. Uh, there's so many people out there that can teach you, and some of it might be more than you need, but it knowledge never hurts. <laughs> knowledge is power, Joe. There you go. You know, knowledge is power. I mean, why is it that somebody comes out to the Western states and pays somebody like me who's not a rocket scientist to walk them through the woods and point them in the right direction with an elk? Well, I think a lot of that has to do with your, you know, your experience level and your expertise. Number one, one of the best callers in the country, but you have that. 30 plus years of experience of understanding where these animals are going to go. Sure. But what is it, Gilbert? What that is knowledge, right? You, no doubt. You, but you put the work in to get that knowledge. That's exactly that's what right. They're paying you for. They're and, paying. and you know, when we're talking about guys in the off season, <laughs> you, you just said the work we're talking about work. Yes. We're talking about working at it. You mm. know, there, there is no magic wand of success y'all. It is work. It is right. You got to put the time in. You got to have the attitude. Got to have the mentality. You got to yeah, get out. Yeah, then the work begins when you're successful. <laughs> right. I can tell you that we reap the benefits of that work for sure. We exactly. were wore out after four days of hunting up there. Whew. Yeah. So, guys, the habits. Uh, figure out their priorities because a lot of you guys are hunting. Like right now I'm talking about, and we're getting ready, Gilbert. We're getting ready to start talking about next year. I'm getting guys already asking about, you know, best weeks for next year, where areas and mm -hmm. how do I, and people that are looking for outfitting and different oh, things yeah. like that. Right. I got guys calling me right now wanting to book hunt sure. somewhere, you know, sure. I'm like hang in there boys. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that because I, yeah. I think on a podcast, it's going to be real important for us because I think one of the biggest problems I see from guys that are trying to get hunts is they don't match their profile to the hunt and mm. either something they didn't expect or something that doesn't fit what they want to do. Yeah. So, it's managing expectations. Yeah, for sure. exactly. So we're going to talk about that, but you know, you, you need to learn what those animals priorities are for your hunt. Are you an early season August hunter? Are you a September rut hunter? Are you an early season October? Are you a late season October? Are you um, hunting uh, in, in December, November? You know, where are those animals going to be? What are they looking for? What's their habits? What's their priorities? And th that's, that's critical. And I'm telling you, if you want to know any of these things, you send us a question. Yeah. Send us a question. Put it in a question form. Send it to info at elkbros.com, and we will either make it a main topic or we'll put it in our Elk Bros uh, mailbox there because that strategies and techniques, those things, if you become a student of all those, you have just built your database so that when you go out there and you have an animal that does A, you're like, Oh, I recognize A. I could do me B, C, or D, you know, or I better not do D because I'm going to blow everything up. Yeah. Right? So, you know, your next topic that we're going to talk about, Joe, practicing your moves and stuff like that. Right. Un unbelievable to find possible failure points 
you know, shoot and what you hunt in. And one of the things that really crept up on us this year was we'd never made a shot with that decoy on our, on our bow. And when we put that joker on that bow, it was way different pulling that bow back and looking past that decoy. You know, so so we learned something, you know, OJT immediately. Yeah. So elk one, Joe's cockiness zero. (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, it is always cool to be able to see the guys that have been doing it the longest humble themselves and say, man, (laughs) I'm going to tell you, I'm susceptible to having a failure point for sure. And uh, I got to see it firsthand, but I'm going to tell you something, boys. It didn't take him long. He, uh, (laughs) he regrouped buddy and sent another one home and, uh, elk went about 20 yards after that. But that was when he, when he made the first shot, I looked over there and I'm like, Oh my God! <laughs> oh, I killed that tree dead, daggum center, man. Let me. So, so for you guys that aren't in on the joke, so what Gilbert's talking about is, uh, uh, we tell you that we don't support products unless we try them. So uh, this year, I I purchased a uh, a predator decoy, That's ultimate right. predator decoy, and uh, for the front of my bow, and was going to go at it and see how it worked. So I did that. I bought that ultimate predator decoy. And, (laughs) and let me tell you what y'all, um, it's aces, man. I tell you, I am a believer because I had it happen. (laughs) I got to see it in action. And, and I can tell you when I talk about my cockiness is, is I shoot instinctive and I really don't, I, and I can, I practice everything in different shots and different situations. And really it's basically, I look at things and I shoot. Well, so I'm like, well, what's the big deal about shooting through a decoy then? I mean, all I got to do is look and shoot, but (laughs) uh, I did find the shortcut (laughs) in that, in that, uh, you know, when I look, when I look down an arrow, there's I, I keep both eyes open. So I basically have two images that I see. So when I see the front of an arrow, there's uh, two images. There's a, a right image and a left image. Well, when I use my right eye, I'm actually using that, that left image. And because I was looking through a hole in the decoy, that left image was off screen. And that right image was on screen in that hole. So I just... I. It, that was in my conscious when I did my, because I don't really look at it. It's in my consciousness as I do it. And I looked at where I was going to shoot. I let fly. And because it was actually the image to the left, my arrow flew to the left and I hit a daggum aspen tree dead center. <laughs> I mean, killed it stone dead. Killed it stone dead. And the milk were like, Hey man, what was that? <laughs> so get this though. Here's the power of the decoy. They came right Those, back. So you didn't even hear the first part of that. In the first part of that, um, the these elk had boogered. We're walking up on top of a hill. They're about five bulls, Gilbert. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And they catch our movement. Now we got the sun at our back, the wind in our face, perfect situation for us, but they catch that and it startles them and they run off. They're off. Oh, I don't know, probably 50, 60 yards in the trees. And so I'm, we hit the ground, 
Cal called to relax them. And I said, you know, what better chance than to see how this thing in actually a hard situation because we had already boogered them. Mm -hmm. So I take that decoy out on the ground, put it on my bow, and I bring the decoy up and I cow call. They see the decoy. Cool. And in come the boys. Ooh, hey. <laughs> it was hilarious. They come in with their head all high, like, hey, what's that? Yeah. I'm so, going, oh, my gosh, we're fixing the triple right here. They're at 20 yards broadside, and uh, they were they were raghorn bulls. Mm-hmm. Did not matter to me. One was going to die, neither. right? Exactly. <laughs> and and uh, so – I'm, the first mistake I make from not using and practicing my decoy is I have the decoy lowered down, uh, and when I go to draw, that's that's about a foot, foot and a half rise when my arm comes up, and that decoy popping up quick like that, they booger, they jump, they're like, oh man, this cow's attacking us or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so crazy. they run off, and I cow call, stop broadside, thirty yards. Mm-hmm. And that is the famous dead Aspen episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, That's it. Yeah. I, I let the arrow fly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so they booger, they start running. I cow call at 50 yards. They yeah. stop broadside. Yeah. And just look at this point, I still am. Now I have that decoy up. And instead of looking at that window, I just needed to get myself right in my, my distance, you know, looking at that. So I kind of looked off to the side of the decoy just so that my brain could register everything. So I figured them for 50 right in that area, got in my window, made sure I was there. There was a rock that was the top of the rock was perfectly even and the rock was between me and the elk. Mm-hmm. So the elk are at 50, the rock's probably at 30 mm-hmm. in there. And that top of that rock was right in the kill, man, uh, perfectly. So all I did was focus on my kill. Uh, didn't worry about the rock. I know the trajectory of my arrow. I've shot that shot a million times. Let it fly. It drops in. Dead Money. bull. Right. Money. Yeah. Double lung, get our two holes. He, he does not go 30 yards maybe. Exactly. Yeah. And probably 20 seconds, it was over. Dead. Yeah. Dead. And, and because of that – because of that decoy, them other bulls came back. They just wouldn't get standing right for us at, and at a distance we were comfortable or we would have doubled, maybe right. possibly tripled. But every time they came back, they were looking at the decoy. So, yeah. I mean, again, you know, equipment tests, you know, now if we know. Had we done that, right? Mm-hmm. Had we practiced that move? And, and so what we're talking about, the first time, we, first thing we say is you guys being a student. Now we're talking about practicing your moves. And for you guys that are not in the mountains, I don't care if you're in the mountains or not. Yeah. Practicing your moves in the off season, finding shooting those possible failure points. Yeah. Shooting in what you're going to hunt in. Shooting with what you're going to hunt with. You yeah. know, shooting in different scenarios. Doing equipment yeah. tests. Uh, in all kinds of situations, you know, uh, what is your equipment going to do in moisture? Mm-hmm. You know, how is it going to react to a light rain? Is there a way that you can reproduce that? Uh, all you got to do is take a little bit of a spray bottle out there, you know, and just kind of do some stuff on your bow. See if you get any squeak and see how it reacts. See the different things that are going on, you know. Uh, try to find... You know, if you wear a face mask like I do, you know, what's it, how does that change when you go to find your release point? Okay, if you're wearing gloves, 
if you're going to wear a glove on your shooting finger as a release. You know, we've actually had a buddy of ours had a beautiful, beautiful herd bull in front of him at 50 yards. And I tell you, this boy can shoot at 50 yards. And he goes to pull back and his shooting, the hand, the glove on his hand um, actually catches his trigger as he's pulling back and he doesn't quite get to full draw and tong, right over the back. <laughs> Man, that's a horrible feeling. Yeah. So, and, and when you're talking about practicing your moves, you're not talking just about just pure, just equipment. Now we're also talking about, because I will tell you this, guys, listen. I'm telling you right now, you want to kill an elk, learn how to call them. Agreed. Learn how to speak the language. the language. Right. And do it with, uh, and, and I'm telling you, okay, if there are different grunt tubes out there, you got the bat grunt tube, and we use a flex tube that's got a, a, a barrel front on it. The one that we use is the $16, dollars $17 Carlton uh, uh, grunt tube from, mm -hmm. I think it's Hunter Specialties that yep. bought that particular from Carlton. Mm -hmm. But, and, and we make sure it's covered. It has a cover on the outside of it. We tie it so it wraps around our body. And what's great about this, and here's what's the difference between that and, and the barrel. I tell you what, if you're going to call and call in competitions, man, go for that bat. I think it has a great sound like that. If you are calling for a partner and you're not doing solo, go for that bat. It's pretty cool. You don't have to worry. But if you are up front, if you are solo, if you have to be in a position where those critters are going to see you, the best thing for throwing calls behind you and not putting too much volume at the animal is this grunt too. Because... I can move this inside my body and up to my mouth with such little movement with my bow in front of me that those animals never pick it up. And I'm throwing that call behind me. I need to stalk. I, I've got a lot of buddies that shoot that, uh, that use that bat grunt tube. They lose more of those grunt tubes because when they're lay putting them on, down. yeah, they got to lay them down when they're doing a stock, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. Uh, so, you know, you've got to think about, that type of situation, the live practice moves and that, and that's where it takes us into our next category, scrimmaging. You bet. Okay. And, and that's where you put yourself in those situations, in a live situation. And guys, I tell you, this is how partners are made right here. Because you have, if you have a hunting partner that's going to go hunt out in the West with you and you guys start putting yourselves in scrimmage situations where you're set, working setups, working how you're going to signal to each other so that that doesn't become a failure point when you're out there. You know, like, for example, when, uh, when, when we hear a call and we go like this, our guys know that that's a cow call. Sure. When they go like that, we know that they've heard a bugle and they're going to point in the direction. They're going to give us a number, four, three, 400, 300, 200 yards out. We know that that's going, what's going to happen. Or if, I am the caller and they look back at me and they're set up and they tell me, I know they're telling me to do a cow call. I know they're telling me to give a bugle because they might see how the animal's reacting to that. If they tell me, give me a signal for raking, okay, then 
I know what to do because they can actually, they have their eyes on the animal. So you can work those things out in live scrimmages, okay? Um, hunting other animals. Yeah, no doubt. I, you know, we do a lot of that here. We're in the middle of our whitetail season, fixing to get ready for the rut. I'm, I'm excited. My neck's swelling up a little bit down here. <laughs> uh, but I tell you, one of the best, um, one of the best hunts down here in Texas for you to get ready for elk hunting is to come down here and pig hunt with us. These pigs are super smart. They got a nose like you wouldn't believe, right. and they are not easy to stalk. Uh, if you can get in there inside on one of these pigs, y'all get at me uh, at elkbros.com if you want to come down here and join us for a pig hunt here. And after our deer season's uh, over with, it's very affordable, and you don't even need a license anymore in the state of Texas. To hunt. No, that Texas wants to get rid of pigs, man. So yeah. they, you don't even need a license to hunt them anymore. Crazy fun uh, and, and fantastic table fare. And having done it. It, you know what? It's not it's not sneaking up on them. That's the that's the hard part, really. I mean, yeah, that you got to watch the nose. Sure. And there's ways that you can get up on them, but them daggum boogers don't sit still for a second. <laughs> Man, they got everything in the world trying to kill them, Joe. Including <laughs> us. I mean, you're trying to beat down on one, and that nose is. I mean, and I think the problem with pigs is is their head moves their whole body. Exactly. You know, where a deer yeah. can stand and turn its head and stay mm -hmm. in position, a yeah. pig has to, he moves his whole body to move his head. And you bet. You it bet. makes it's, for some squirrely shooting. It's, it's, uh, it's hard. It's a very formidable, uh, formidable uh, animal to hunt. And I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy spotting and stalking them. I enjoy stand hunting them. Uh, and it keeps my, my shooting skills sharp too. Sure. Got a pretty small window to make a real good kill on kill shot on a on a hog, because they got a big plate that's on the back of their shoulder, mm -hmm. and uh, if uh, you don't shoot a hammer of a bow like Joe and I shoot, you're going to be uh, searching for. And they don't bleed very much. I don't care if you punch them real good or not; they don't bleed a lot. You know, right? So, yeah, you gotta you better make a good shot and and. Yeah. You know, I would recommend, <laughs> I tell you what, man, if you're going to kill a pig down in South Texas, you better kill that sucker because finding them in all that briar patch is <laughs> not fun. Rough. <laughs> it's super rough. But you get some great practice in. Yep. It's great camaraderie. We, you know, we cook and have a good time at the camp. Oh, yeah. And then uh, I had know, a blast, boy, Gilbert. I yeah. Well, that. invite is extended. Uh, Y'all come down a little earlier because. It gets starts getting warm at the end of February in Texas. Yeah. And, uh, and then big rattlesnakes start poking around. I don't like them critters at all. You know, another animal though for guys that really want to work on on their scrimmaging, uh, especially, you know, just to work a diaphragm in their mouth is hunting turkeys. I absolutely, think that, yes. you know, uh, yeah. You know, we have a saying that any Indian can get a deer but it takes a chief to get a turkey no doubt i believe that turkeys are tough yeah and i mean with so, a bow <laughs> yes sir man i tell you what you, you got, got eyes really, like an eagle yeah it's 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 tough and and it's so much fun because again you're calling mm -hmm. um you get a chance to work that in the springtime and and do that it's so much fun i love to call anything uh the nice thing about it is when you do kill one of those it's it's not uh 
500 pounds of meat that you're trying to pack out right. in there. Well, man, it's really good table fare. I mean, we make, you know, uh, chicken tenders and stuff like that with them. And man, they're fantastic to eat. And here in Texas, you're allowed four of them. So, I mean, you know, it's pretty good, uh, pretty good bag limit. You know, I tell you other ways, guys, is uh, if you do get a partner and you guys get serious about this and you become elk fanatics, I mean, you guys start learning the language, then something that you can do out there is you guys can actually work, uh, get out in a woods situation in your Midwest, doing some calling out there to each other, practice how you respond. In other words, learn what the language is and what the correct response would be. Um, and then have conversations about it. Talk about what, what sounded good, what didn't sound good, what do they have to work on. You know, listen to uh, the actual animal's calling and talking and mimic them because like i tell you out there if you are calling critters elk out there and you're not sure about how to escalate or how much tone or how much anger the best thing to do is to mimic them a lot of times if you don't understand a lot of that i'm telling you it it's one of the best ways to call them if you're not sure so you can do that um calling competitions now i will tell you uh, I have never been in a calling competition in my life. I've, the only thing I've ever called to has been elk. Uh, living here in Cimarron, you know, I haven't had many calling competitions around. And as a coach and a teacher, I just didn't travel for something like that. I, I worked at uh, being out in the mountains doing it. However, for guys, man, it's going to put pressure on you. It's going to dry your mouth out. It's going to put you in the same situation when that bull steps out there and you haven't wet down that diaphragm yet and you're getting ready to throw the first call out. I tell you what, you put yourself in a calling competition and you are scrimmaging for that, okay? Same thing as 3Ds, Gilbert. You yeah. know, uh, putting that pressure on yourself, shooting those 3D shoots with people around you uh, so that, you're feeling those eyes on you that you're now having to make a shot. You have a rock beside the target, things that could trash your arrows, things that are going to mess with your head. They're going to be uphill shots. They're going to be downhill. They're going to be through the trees. They're going to be up in trees. They're going to be behind rocks. They're all kinds of great, great, great practice, scrimmaging practice for being out there in the woods. You can even you can create your own home course, invite buddies over. You know, shoot yep. that, right? You bet, man. Yeah, we uh, <clears throat> we have all kinds of competitions at camp all the time. We shoot at long range. We shoot at short range. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there we try to stack things around the kill zone. Um, <laughs> we try not to cost each other a whole lot of money because those arrows <laughs> that we shoot are expensive. But uh, yeah, I mean, we do a whole lot to try and uh, get better and focus. We yell at one another. We scream. We might honk a horn while you're drawing back. I mean, whatever it takes to try to get you ready to not be rattled, you know, because yeah. I'm going to tell you, if you hunt and do in the, the time of the year, Joe and I like to hunt when these bulls get fired up and they're coming in, they are not happy. And they, that scenario can almost strike fear in you. You know, and you can really get um, spun out and and lose your cool and <clears throat> forget everything. You, you know, you forget how many yards he is. You forget how many pins you got. I mean, there are a lot of things that if you're not 
if you're not ready, I just tell everybody, this ain't deer hunting. This is not pig hunting. It's totally different when you've got a big, bad bull screaming at you in your face and he's closing the distance, you know. And then a lot of times they'll hang up. You know, we fought that this year, had a bull hang up on us for, I don't know, solid six, seven minutes and just stare us down. And it's like who moves first is going to lose, you know. Sure. And uh, it, it took nerves of steel and not just by one of us. I mean, we had four people in that set. So uh, it right. took nerves of steel from everybody to get that done, you know. And, well, there were two of our guys that made their first kill on bulls this year. Yeah, you know. for sure. And, and look, those guys have been hunting a while. So yes. it's not like they hadn't been hunting a while. So that's, that's right. But to their credit, <laughs> I think I get a I get a picture from them uh, on WhatsApp every weekend. <laughs> oh yeah, they're working. For they're, sure. they're they're killing a pig, they're hunting a deer, they're you know, they're always in the game. So, you know, the 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 animal is changing, but they are so present with their equipment they're so present with what they're wearing they're so present with their shooting so i think that i think that just really speaks volumes once they get out in the elk woods yeah me too joe i you know those guys are always putting in the work and that's why they're successful you know um if they're not with me they're i mean manano and luis are you know the venezuela mafia they're branching out man they getting them you know manano's got him a place to hunt up there and on the red river now and i mean those guys are branching out they're looking to buy property i mean you know luis had his daughter with me in the last couple of weeks that was so down. cool she She's came down big, and hunted that was with awesome yeah, it, it, you know, just having her around us and, and hanging out. I mean, you know, she's young and full of energy and makes us want to, you know, really work hard to, to to provide her an opportunity that a lot of times we didn't have growing up, you know. Well, that's a, another great point, too, for you guys that are listening. You want to continue to work your game in the off season, involve a child, mm-hmm. you know, bring youth to this. Uh, teach them about the things that are special to you, uh, why hunting is special to our, as, our, as a heritage to us, what it means to put fair on our table that we know where it came from, that we put the work in, that we honored a hunt in, that we did things the right way. Teach them, y'all. You get those kids involved with you and it is a whole different experience and you get to see your excitement through somebody else's eyes and you get to share that. And I tell you, it, it just, it has a ripple effect that is going to go. Gilbert, I'm going to say this right here in front of God and country, man. You are one of the most incredible fathers I have ever seen in my life. And what you have done for Logan and Lacey throughout their childhood into their adulthood is uh is going to it does speak volumes and it will continue to speak volumes and the relationship that you've established with your children is it's it's beyond man it is just so cool so you know that uh i'm proud of you i'm proud to see what luis is doing with his daughters and uh i i think manano you know for you guys haven't heard before you know manano is a is a new father yeah Uh, buddy 
Yeah, <laughs> little Tomas Jose Alejandro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's gonna be a killer, dude. I can tell you already. Yeah, <laughs> you so, know, Luis is Luis has done it the right way too, man. He's let the girls yes. come to him. You know, he asked me early on, man, how do you how do you get them involved? I said, man, you just go out there and do what you love to do, and they're gonna start inquiring about it. You know? Sure. And he's like, sure. well, man, I don't know if my wife, I said, listen, your wife's going to follow suit. If those girls want to get involved, they'll, she'll support you. I promise. You know, he's done a fantastic job. It's all about her. relationship and memory. And you know, that, that young lady was pretty well dead set against on shooting rifles. And I got a, I got a video of her this weekend. I saw that man on my son's rifle and yeah. she had blast doing it. So that's cool. Uh, another little box check that, you know, I'm sure she's going to be, uh, looking to to keep, you know, broadening her horizons with the the crossbow. And I then, don't know if it's just her experience or her age, but she's standing taller too, man. No doubt, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, yeah she's she schooling. <laughs> Those girls ask her, "What'd you do this weekend?" I went and shot deer and pig. Yeah. Blah blah blah. What? <laughs> That's what they used to so, do. Uh, for for any of you uh, ladies listening to this out there, I so elk bros. <laughs> You know, we talk about brotherhood and stuff like that, but I, I'm telling you, that was a tribute. Um, it's a tribute to the the very man that I want this to be good for. It was a tribute to Chav, our, our relationship, and what we do with these guys that uh, come into our lives. But it has nothing to do with it just being all about men. My daughter is a tremendous hunter, uh, and it does, you know, I, I think – I, I love seeing uh, the daughters involved, the you wives bet. involved. Uh, I, I think this is, you know, hunt, the hunting heritage is for all of us. So uh, I hope that I've never done anything to make uh, to make women feel excluded from what we're talking about. And I hope you understand why this is important to me and, and why we named that. But uh, uh, hope to get more of them involved. And, and I tell you what, Sophia is, you know, Elksis is no right doubt. there man <laughs> no doubt it's she's, coming she, yeah it's coming for sure yeah for sure we're trying to work on a way to get my son up in the mountains with us this yep. year joe so i don't know if school's going loud or not but we're going we're going to do it if the hair there's a the will governor, so there's a way <laughs> exactly. Exactly. so let's go to our elk bros mailbox bud let's uh let's yeah. take care of this and then we'll get ready to get out of here so um guys don't forget uh, if you have a question, send it to info at elkbros.com. And please, as we're going to our mailbox, do not forget, and while you're listening to this, look down there, subscribe. If you're listening to us on the podcast, subscribe to it. That way you get everyone that's coming in. Please rate and leave a review. Show us a little bit of love. Let us know what you think, uh, how we're doing. We'd love to hear from you. So the, the first question that we have here is from, and some of these are from guys that we're actually doing video on some of these. But So these are questions that some of our elk campers from the elkbros.com site sent in that they want to see us talk about on video and give some examples. But some of these questions fit in real good for being on our mailbox too. So uh, Felipe is one of those, Felipe Perez. Uh, he had a question, is it better to camp near your truck or in the mountains? Mm. So uh, to, to answer his question, kind of the way my father-in-law, my father-in-law has a saying all the time. He says, Kala Chango. And it's a longer saying that basically means that, you know, every monkey swings from a different tree. Mm -hmm. So in other words, it depends on you, but 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends on the experience that you're wanting out of this. If you're wanting a, a wilderness experience or um, for me, I don't know, Gil, how do you feel about that? Well, for me, I think if you can, if you can camp near your truck, things can be a lot easier. Uh, right. If you can't, then look, you know, you got to strike out and make camp where you can. Uh, I haven't not done, I've not done one where I've not been real close to my truck. I've had my truck within a couple hundred yards or even right close to my, my camp. So I've been, we've been pretty lucky with that, but right. I think it's like you said, if you can get your clo- your truck there, that's a whole lot easier because, you know, there's a whole lot more amenities when you have your truck close. You by know, I've done, I've, I've actually backpacked into the hills and, and hunted. I've hunted on horseback. Um, I think those are tremendous. And if you haven't experienced those, I think they're a tremendous experience. Go do it. You bet. For, you know, for me, even when we camp with our truck close by, we are still utilizing ATVs to get into other areas to move yeah. us. And if we, I don't think we've ever really moved camp. We've just moved ourselves traveling to a different area on ATV. But, you know, if you're hunting Colorado and you're hunting some of that OTC, you're hunting some of those other big Western states, having your truck to be able to change to a different area or different location can be critical if you're having difficulty finding the animals. When you hunt with your pack on your back, it's a blast. But you know, if you're not where the elk are, you can sometimes find yourself stuck. But at you know, the same time, what's that? You know, I think too, Joe, maybe he's asking, is it better to camp near your truck or in the mountains? Like, if is it going to bother the elk if you camp near your truck? Uh, no, it ain't. They're going to walk right through the middle of the camp. They don't give a dang if your trucks are there or not. Ours I can do, remember... Huh? Yeah, I can remember many times us having bulls come right through the middle of camp, bugling in the middle of the night. I mean, they they just don't care if your vehicle's there. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I would not hesitate to camp near my truck in yeah. in fear of that I was going to scare elk or something. No, like that. definitely not. But we do we do hunt in high use areas too. We do. So yeah. that's that's something else to to remember. So that, I I think it just kind of depends on what you're looking for. Uh, if you want a few more of the comforts and you want the ability to go into town or something like that, then your truck is aces. If you uh, get an animal and need to take it in someplace, if you're up in the mountains, you got to really think about, you know, the fact that, especially if you're by yourself, what are you going to do when you get one of those animals? How are you going to get it out? If you're doing it in September when it's hot, it can be critical. So there's a lot to think about there, Felipe. Um, myself, we hunt out of uh, truck camps. And that's what's worked for us in most of the years. Troy Parcell, he says, uh, everyone talks about finding the feed and you find the cows and therefore the bulls. I'm sitting in front of a computer 2,000 miles away from a mountain. I have no idea of what the name of the feed is, what it looks like, or where and when to find it. (laughs) Good point. Good point, Troy. So, first of all, make sure you understand the animal. I mean, if you hunt deer, you understand that deer... Are, are browsers well elk are elk are grazers, grazers and browsers they do a lot more browsing than people realize but let me tell you about this animal and then i'll talk a little bit about about the feed and help you out with that is that elk are so smart in that they don't eat themselves out of future food in other words in the summertime and and it just 
okay, they're opportunists. Uh, in other words, they're going to eat what's in season. And so if you have a good rainy season and there's a bunch of different flowers that are popping up in, in meadows, they are going to, and you have lush green grass, guess what? They're going to hit those flowers first that are going to disappear and they're going to save the grass for later because that grass can cure and still be feed come winter time. And uh, there, there, there are other things that come out. A lot of people, I don't hear people talk about this, but I watched bulls. And I don't know if you remember, it was, what God, was it last season? That one year that we had all the rain, Gilbert. I sat there and walking through the woods and wherever there were mushrooms. Oh, yeah. They, all you could see is the stem on the bottom, even with the ground, because those mm. bulls, those elk, all the elk were, were really hitting on those mushrooms and there. Mm-hmm. So they were eating the mushrooms. If you have a year where you have acorns, if you oh, have juniper berries, pinon pine, and I'm talking about kind of, you know, where we hunt in New Mexico, we hunt, uh, we do have that high Aspen park area with all those grasses and things like that. But uh, if we end up getting an acorn or juniper berries or pinon pine, we like to hunt that because it is a, that is a magnet. So, but 2,000 miles away, how do you find out what this is? Well, so here's what I'm going to tell you on that. And, and Gilbert, throw in if you, if you disagree or you have another idea. But remember that the, the most nutritious and palatable plants are going to grow where they get sunlight. And when you look at those dense areas where those animals like to bed and everything, that's not their feed areas. It's those transition places or the type of trees like aspens or where there's burns because it opens the canopy or you bet. or where there's been um, logging. Those going burns on. are big. Those burns and logging areas are key areas, especially if they're they're recent burns and they've gotten some rain. That's big time fertile areas that, and all those tender shoots popping up those elk love that stuff joe sure most and they'll definitely. be in there quick too right after a burn you know so yeah and even mean, at two thousand miles away you can look at google earth or you can oh, look at yeah. onyx and you can zoom in so tight that you can start to see the trees the foliage from the top and you can start to see how dense it is where yeah. there's openings where you're starting to see, and you can even on, I believe it's Google Earth, that you can take it to a date and a time of year. You bet. So if you're going to hunt in September 1st, you can look at an area in September 1st, the previous year or two years ago, and you can see what that area looks like, looking for where the grasses are, because grasses, sedges, and rubes are huge for these animals. Now, in the summertime, they're going to kind of pass them up to save more for fall and winter. And they're going to use more of those forbs, of those flowers. Uh, Shrubs, when the new growth comes out, they, they kind of go for the conifers and the bark and stuff like that later. It's stuff that, uh, that they'll have to eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I saw elk in a burn just peeling the bark because it had heated up on those aspens and mm-hmm. separated that bark. And they just peeled that bark off during the winter eating that. Mm-hmm. That was their, their main feed at that time of year. So that's where we were finding them. But uh, grasses, sedges, and rubes. So 
uh, sedges have edges. They're like triangular grasses. Rubes are like solid grasses and, and the other grasses are like hollow. And you're going to find them in different areas and some of them are going to grow quicker and die quicker. Some are going to grow uh, and stay longer. Mm -hmm. uh, even in sage brush, er sage brush areas, yep. they're going to eat sage, you know, in it there. The, the new growth coming out of the the pines, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. So I, I don't know if I've given you a specific answer, but what I'm trying to tell you is, is look for areas that are open, that have either parks. Yeah, the parks. Mm -hmm. The bottoms in canyons where it shows that there's grass growing in there. If there's water, your aces because you're going to yeah. have good grass, springs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's one of the first things I'd look for is where my water source is, Joe. Sure. You know, I mean, just depending on whether it's a dry year or a wet year, they got to have water and a lot of it. So uh, your water source is going to be a big place to start from uh, and then look for their bedding area and everything in between the water source and the bedding area that's in a park or, you know, in a, a open field that's got some real good grassland. You may look at adjoining pastures that may have some pivots, some alfalfa pivots in it. Right. I mean, those are things that you want to look at from Google Earth. And uh, you can see those granaries. You can see those uh, beautiful lush fields and stuff right. like that where the elk are going to want to be at night for sure feeding and then, you know, come back up the mountain, uh, up on those higher peaks and stuff like that in the middle of the day. But water is a key thing, man. So, so, so remember that they're opportunists. Okay. Slaves Boy, to their bellies. That, that, but it, it's kind of like, you know, if all of a sudden a watermelon patch showed up in my backyard, Mm -hmm. I'd be cracking on them babies as soon as they came out. Well, they all right. the same way when those Forbes, when those, when those uh, different types of huckleberries and, and uh, I think they even eat on that. Uh, uh, there's like a, a fire ant plant uh, that they'll feed on uh, whatever, depending on if that's a wet year, if it's a dry year. And I can tell you this, I have a field behind my house and it never fails that a different flower comes up in that every year that is pretty much a concentrated flower. It's not the same one every year. One mm -hmm. year I'll see a, yellow, a group of all yellow out there. The next year I'll see a group of all purple. So there's certain seeds that kind of wait and that start to happen. You got your annuals and perennials and stuff like that that are out there. But grass is, grass is their main diet. And for that grass and for those plants and stuff to happen, they're going to eat on, it needs sunlight. So think about those open areas. Think about those burns. Think about those lower parks, those bottom canyons. Uh, and that's the areas that you're going to find most of your feed in, okay? So I think we're going to go ahead and uh, uh, leave that one. I'll leave Jim's for next week. We'll, we'll bring his in next week, Gilbert. Uh, I think... Uh, I think we covered some pretty good information on this one. For sure. Um, guys, you know, uh, I'll add just a little bit. Google Earth and Onyx make our lives a whole lot easier. Those are so tools that much easier. Those are tools that we use. I use it deer hunting here, man. I, I actually found a little corridor uh, that I hadn't seen before. And I went in and put a trail camera up to see what I had moving through there and whole lo and behold, Oh my gosh, 
So I'm, I'm anxious to get back up in my tree stand and figure out, um, you know, there's some really good deer moving in that area, but I would have never been able to find that. I would have never looked at it if I wasn't just doing some map study at night, you know, right. and looking at my onyx, where are corridors from the river up to the brush country and stuff the, like that. And the I only found, thing I would tell people about that too, though, is, is just always keep this in mind that once you get boots on the ground, it's way bigger than you thought it was. Sure. You know, that's that, the cool, that's the cool thing with Onyx is you can do straight line distances and you can see right. what a, an area is, how big it is. And, uh, it, it's really cool. It's refined and you know, it, it is what it is. You guys can use it and, uh, it can really make your life a lot easier when you're like he said, 2000 miles away, Joe, that's a long way. Yes, know? it is. And, sure. but you can, it, that's the only thing I would tell you though, Troy, is after, you know, when you look at stuff on Google Earth, you look on Onyx, just realize that when you get there, that country is a lot bigger than what you thought it was. Yeah. Uh, it, it gets, it gets steeper and it gets bigger. Oh man. So, no. The cool, yeah, that's another thing with Onyx, you know, you got the topo map that you can right. punch its feature. And so you can see all the elevation changes and everything. I, I'm telling you, I'm so impressed with that thing every year, you know, the upgrades that they've done to it with the weather app and the wind and man, it's, uh, it's well, really with cool. some of those competitive apps out there, you know, you got to stay on your game. So that, yeah. that, that's a big plus. And I tell you what they have, we've been using it for years since it came out. We are not sponsored by Onyx and, uh, uh, it's just a tool that, that we believe in and that we use. No doubt. Well, you know, I want everybody, all the listeners out there, you know, I want them to keep Chav in their prayers. He's yes, still sir, battling, uh, battling every day. Uh, my stepfather, Matt Montgomery's he's battling every day. He went through, uh, went through open heart surgery, come through like a champ. So all your prayers were answered and we're, you know, we appreciate all the prayers out there. Uh, he's at home recovering. That's some gun so tough, man. They had him up walking after 24 hours and, uh, he's been walking every day since. So, um, we know Chav's still fighting a good fight, and it's uh, it's been challenging. So I want y'all to keep keep Chav and his family in in your prayers for sure. Please do, man. Joe, been a great show. I a lot of great content today. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're looking forward to next week's show for sure. For Joe in New Mexico, I'm Gilbert Ornelas. I want to thank thank all of our listeners. God bless all of y'all. Husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Hug your babies. Keep your broadhead sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Hope to see you all soon, y'all. Good night. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.